second, the first reading is uh, from Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 18, and verses 1 through to 14. Matthew 18, reading from verse 1. Matthew 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of these things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go and look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Amen. Our second Bible reading tonight is also from Matthew chapter 18, following from where we left off, beginning at verse 15. <clears throat> if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you agree on anything on earth about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. 
Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. That was my fault. <laughs> they asked if there was any songs. I thought, I thought, oh, I like that one. But um, uh, anyway, we got there and we can reflect on those words and they are amazing words about what Christ has done for us and I think ultimately all sermons and preaching and pastoral care is really all about what Christ has done for us and who God is and who Christ is and that it's an act of worship regardless of whether we can sing it well or all know the words or when to come in and I even heard Mike going I and I was like no not yet and then you know it happens but, but it's an act of worship and thankfully God doesn't expect us to be perfect at singing and knowing when to, to come in. Uh, it's really lovely to be back, um, really lovely to be asked back. Um, and I did try, I mean, to kind of look a bit more less punk uh, than I normally do. So I put this shirt on, but I realized it's kind of military looking, which is also kind of punk. Uh, and I, I tried to put my mohawk down, but it, doing, no, it didn't want to go down. So <laughs> hopefully you can look past that. Um, so for those of you who don't know me, um, my name is Stuart Gilmore, and this is my wife Lindsay and our two girls, Indy and Hiromi, um, came and spoke quite a few months ago now, um, and I think in the evening I shared a little bit about what Lindsay and I do. We're involved in a, a ministry that we named Scum for Scotland, um, which doesn't, it's not a name we would use to reach out to the church, as you would imagine. It's a name we would like to use to reach out to those in the pubs and clubs and goths and punks and people that Lindsay and I are familiar with culturally. Uh, they're people that we know and that we understand their literature and their music and their art. We understand their cynicism and their angst against mainstream culture and their criticisms and cynicisms and perceived ideas of what the church is. And we hope that by being alongside them, loving them, being where they are, that in some way we can break down the barriers between them and a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, in fact, we were in a pub called Nice and Sleazy today, which is the pub we actually go to in Glasgow, and we just have a coffee and we pray for the staff there. 
Um, and the, the manager there has been talking to us. Uh, and she's been very welcoming to us. Uh, and it's been really amazing to see that we walked into a pub that we expected there would be hostility towards Christianity and to what we were doing, but rather there was a real welcome. You're welcome here. You're welcome to talk to people about Jesus. We were told today not to evangelize, <laughs> but we're welcome to talk about Jesus. So it's kind of the same thing. And so we're really thankful uh, that God's opened that door for us. And it may be months, years before we see real fruit, but we may see fruit within weeks. We just have faith that that's where God has us. And we also meet in a pub in Bathgate where we have topical discussions around theology, the end of the world, aliens, giants, things that you may consider controversial or not that important, but also things that are really deep and that people will think about. And we engage with people who are not Christian and just talk about it. I suppose we kind of see of ourselves as roving chaplains amongst a community that is very foreign to the church, especially younger people now who are very much removed from the church. So, so that's what we're about. Mike and Mary are from Denver, Colorado. Um, you'll no, notice a similarity between the name of their church in Denver and our ministry. They belong to Scum of the Earth Church in Denver, Colorado. Um, and I won't say too much about that, and I won't say much more about what Lindsay and I do, but um, Mike and Mary have been great mentors and pastors to us via Skype. Uh, and have been very much in our life. They've sent missions teams over to work with Glasgow City Mission for the last maybe almost 10 years. Um, so if you want to speak to either Stuart, Lindsay and I or Mike and Mary about anything, we'd be more than happy to. Um, but is our passion punks and goths? No, it's Jesus. Lindsay was just saying today we would like to put a prayer box or something in nice and sleazy pub that says, we love Jesus, you don't have to. You know, as a kind of non-threatening look, we love Jesus. That's why we're here. It's not because we love punks and goths and, you know, that kind of music. It's because we love Jesus. And so, yeah, I could go on and on about it. If you're not passionate about your ministry, why would you do it, right? Okay, um, tonight's sermon, I don't, know if all, I don't know if you give your sermons titles. No, but some people do. <laughs> Sometimes I don't. Sometimes the title is just the scripture. Tonight is, I've got 99 sheep, I need to look for the one, because I'm meant to have 100. Uh, so we, the scriptures tonight, we're all chapter uh, 18 of gospel, the, 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 I'm trying my wrapping out as well while I'm up here, uh, Matthew chapter 18. Don't worry, I won't read it all again, it's a, a whole chapter. Uh, but what I would like to do, if you have your, your Bible with you, if you just want to kind of follow through from verse 1. Uh, and I just want to do like a, a very kind of quick commentary. Now, this is not deep theological commentary. This isn't chapter and verse stuff. This is just a kind of just to familiarize ourselves a bit more with the text and what Jesus is saying and what Matthew's recorded. So if we look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 to 4, which is commonly titled in your Bible as something like, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so the first four verses, we, I mean, I could bring Indy up here, and it would be just the same as what Jesus did. You know, have Indy up here running up and down and saying, this is Ross and all these kind of things. And, and Jesus is saying, see this, this is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, which is deeply offensive in a lot of ways to a lot of us because we think, oh, well, I, I'm, I'm grown up, I do the right thing. And, and so Jesus is taking an example in that culture and saying, children who are overlooked are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Um, 
But he's not really saying children. He's saying people who are like children, people who have faith in Christ like children, who have the basic faith of a child. India has no idea that it's dangerous to drive, but she'll get in a car no problem because she trusts me and she trusts Lindsay. She's on the phone with YouTube. She doesn't know there's bad things on YouTube, but she just knows that she's fine to do it. She'll just go searching because mom and dad are watching. She's not even aware that mom and dad are protecting her. She just has this trust, this basic faith that she'll be okay. Same with little Hiromi here. You know, if it's not mom and dad, it's Mary. Somebody will look after them. The basic faith of a child, Christ, God, values that. Is your relationship with Christ as such that you just trust God as the adult, that he will clothe you, he will feed you, that he will stop you and protect you from a lot of the things that, you know, don't, or don't know what's around the corner, that he'll sustain you and provide for you. I think the other thing he's talking about is the attitude of a child, not just faith, but the attitude. You know, Indy might say things that are, you're like, oh, you shouldn't say that because she's seen it in some cartoon or overheard something, or she might say, give me that from Hiromi, and no, Hiromi, that's not my toy. But her attitude isn't that she's trying to be full of pride and pomp and ceremony. She's not really aware of what she's doing. She's void of malice. There's no malice in India or in children, really. They're, they're under command without even realizing it. The attitude is that they just are, you know, we're able to tell Indy to not do this and to not do that. And she won't really, she might kick up a fuss, but not to the point where she thinks that she knows better than us. Matthew Henry, I love his commentaries. He's a Bible scholar. And I really like the way he puts this grace in the kingdom of heaven about children. He says, the child of a gentleman will play with the child of a beggar. The child in rags, if it have the breast, is well enough pleased and envies not the gaiety of the child in silk. Little children have no great aims at great places or projects to raise themselves in the world. They exercise not themselves in things too high for them, and we should in like manner behave and quiet ourselves as children. As children are little in body and low in stature, so must, must we be little and low in spirit. And in our thoughts of ourselves, this is a temper which leads to other good dispositions. The age of childhood is the learning age. There's lots of ways you can look at what Christ is saying, but I think those things are quite easy to grasp. The faith of a child, the attitude of the child, and the fact that it's about learning and knowing that you need God. And that that attitude, that demeanor, that being before Christ makes a person more great in the kingdom of the heaven than the person who feels they've got it all together, that they're an adult, and they can figure things out on their own. Thank you very much. In verse 5, Christ basically saying, if you welcome those who trust in Christ, then you are welcoming Christ. In other words, welcome each other. Welcome each other as Christians. Are we welcoming, accepting of one another? Matthew 18, 6. If you cause your brother or sister to stumble into sin, then there is, if you excuse the term, there is hell to pay, a phrase, a phrase that people might use, that there is hell to pay, but that is basically what Jesus is saying. If you cause your brother or sister to stumble, this person with the attitude and faith of a child, then there is hell to pay for that. 
If you tempt other people to sin, deceive them, falsely accuse them until the point where they begin to sin, Christ takes that very seriously. Just as we would take it very seriously if anyone was to, to damage or hurt Indy. That's how Christ sees his church, how he sees his little children. Matthew 18, 7 to 9, it, it does say, look, temptation's inevitable. I mean, that's throughout it. I mean, the whole Bible, it's just the assumption that, yes, human beings are going to make mistakes, that we're going to fall into sin. Temptation is inevitable. And again, another, I suppose, earthly phrase is that there is a special place in hell for those who do the tempting. In other words, it's like saying that temptation is normal. Like, you go to, to Christ and say, I'm sorry, I was tempted, I sinned. Christ's like, well, what else is new? You know? When you're going to God and saying, oh, I'm really sorry, I caused all of these people to fall into sin, God's like, yes, I can still have grace for that, but my goodness, I take that a lot more seriously. Why would I inflict pain on Indy? Why would I put things on YouTube for her to watch that would scar her and upset and confuse her little mind? You would take that very seriously. You'd go, what a terrible dad. Why would he do that to a child? Christ sees you in a similar way. Why would you do anything to tempt and deceive and damage my church? In Matthew, and of course, when Ross read it, you're really, Christ is saying, you're better to perform surgery in your body and be, be maimed and blind than go, in, than go into heaven than to have your whole body but enter hell. I mean, it's the idea that there's a, an Old Testament God that's mean and nasty, and that's where you find all the difficult passages of Scripture is just not true. Christ talks more about hell and these sort of things than anybody else in Scripture. So Jesus takes sin very seriously. He takes temptation seriously, but he takes causing others to stumble very seriously too, more so. In Matthew 18.10, we must not have contempt for one another. We must not look down on those who we think are immature in the faith. Experiencing, people who experience apparent self-inflicted, oh, well, if they hadn't done that, they wouldn't be in such a position. And we're talking about Christians on Christians here. Christ is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No. Stop judging those people that you think are somewhat lesser in the faith. That's because they don't have the same understanding. We're actually just talking about Justin Bieber, who apparently has come to faith. Uh, we were just talking about that before we came out, weren't we? And my cynicism was like, oh, well, I've heard this before. Jim Carrey said he was a Christian, but that was just a big joke. And they found it very hard to believe that um, somehow these people could be Christians. And, and Mike, in his wisdom, was like, well, you know, I think he just could be genuine. I think this could be genuine, but is he, does that mean he's got it all together and that he, he knows what he's talking about? Probably not. He's a young guy. And so who am I to talk down about Justin Bieber? just because he's still committing sin. I mean, I've heard stories of people who have become Christians and have been effing and blinding in their prayers to God. <laughs> I mean, and, and you're kind of like, oh, they shouldn't be doing that. Christ is saying, you know what? They're talking to me. That's a start. So don't look down on those in the church who you perceive to be not good enough or still sinning. Or, you know, and I think we all have it. I'm not talking to you as though I don't do that. We all have people that we might think, well... And the moment we think, well, we should be having that conviction in our heart. How dare we talk about Indy and Hiromi that way? Because that's how Christ sees them, as Indies and Hiromis, as children, his children. 
To the point where he says, you know, the reason I don't want you messing with these people is because you need to remember that their angels are constantly in the presence of God. And there's, I could go into the whole angels thing, and it's really curious and amazing. But what we're saying here is that as Christians, his children, his angels are special. And you don't talk, I don't talk about uh, people in here because I need to remember that in heaven, your angels are in the presence of God whilst they're with you. Bizarre. But I think what, we're, what Jesus is saying here is like, don't mess with my kids. Don't mess with my kids. You mess with my kids, boy, you know, <laughs> hold me back, right? You're going to want to protect. And that's how God sees us. So even as Christians, as children, Indy and Hiromi fighting with each other, why do I get mad when Indy <laughs> walks in the living room yesterday and Hiromi's, ah, bah, bah, and Indy's just lying on, her to on top of her, like full body? <laughs> why do I get mad? Because I'm like, that's my child. And like, Indy, Hiromi's my child too. So we can't go lying on top of the Hiromi's in our church. <laughs> Hiromi's beginning to get her own back, you know? Like, oh, you've got a little figure. I'll have that. And then why did I get mad? Because I'm like, Hiromi, <laughs> they're just making Indy mad, and Indy's my child too. So, it's interesting, you know, that this whole angels thing, but I think what we're clearly seeing here is that Christ is like, the church, they're my kids, leave them alone. We're going to focus on the parable of lost sheep at the end. That's the main sermon tonight. You know, I've got 99 sheep and they talk for one. But all these passages are connected. Chapter 18, it's something I'd never realized before. I don't believe that this was Jesus preaching and it was all one after the other. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The parable of lost sheep, correcting an unbeliever, unforgiving servant. I don't necessarily believe that they were all preached at the same time, but for whatever reason, whether they were or Matthew put them together, he put them together for a reason. God provided, it, it provided it, this scripture, this chapter to us in the way that it is for a reason. And I believe it's because they're connected. Maybe you'll see the pieces come together. If you jump to verse uh, 15, we see kind of rules on uh, how to deal with children who are in sin. So we're back to kids, right? Back to us as a church. And if we, I've been in churches and I've been in situations where I personally have failed to do it this way. A long time ago, I failed to correct a stumbling brother in the way that Christ commanded. And it, there was lessons to be learned from that. And I've had seen it in other churches as well where people have not followed this scripture. And it always ends badly. So when Indy and Hiromi are an age, I'm like, Indy, Hiromi doing something wrong? Go speak to her. And if that doesn't work, then you can come and talk to me. In the church, Christ is saying, look, if I've got a problem with Lindsay, I go to her. If Lindsay's not responding, I say, Ross, will you come and speak to Lindsay with me because this is what I think has been happening. And, and Ross says, well, yeah, I think that's wrong. We go speak to her. If she still doesn't listen, then we come and speak to the whole everybody. You're giving people chances. So it's really, this is, and this is again where Jesus' word is, can be quite difficult and hard to take. It's one-on-one, -on -one, then two-on-one, -on -one, then all-on-one, -on -one, then you're not one of us. I mean, it's, it's pretty kind of like that's the deal. It's kind of three strikes and you're out almost. If you're still not responding, you treat them like a tax collector and sinner. Now, the good news about that is that Jesus didn't go about beating up tax collectors and sinners and never talking to them. 
like kind of shunning them, you know. Um, but he was basically saying, look, if they're not going to follow what dad says, then how can they possibly be a member of this family? They're not behaving like a member of this family. So there's guidance on that. Now, in verses 18 to 20, we then have this thing about power and authority. And, and again, what Jesus is saying, look, you have the power and the authority to do this. I'm giving you this as a church. If we accept the little one, heaven accepts the little one. This is where it gets really difficult. You know, the, the greatest thing of have, we accept one another, then, you know, heaven accepts. And you could push it to say that if we reject the little one, then heaven rejects the little one. Now, that does get into scary territory, and I'm not saying that that's what happens. It's just because I reject you that all of a sudden God's like, ah, you're out. You know, but there's this thing here about um, we've been given power and authority that Christ gives us it to bind things, to loose things. We're going to do this. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Heaven's like, okay, you have decided. I mean, it's hard because you don't always see that to be true, do you? Sometimes you're like, well, that didn't go the way we planned. But basically, Christ saying, if we agree on anything, then Christ will do it in his name if we do it. Now, a good check on this before people get terrified and say, well, you could just say anything. I could just say, well, this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And, you know, what control is there on this? That's really careless of Christ to let us have that power and authority. But there's a good check, a few checks that we can do on this. The first one is, uh, if we know that we are gathering in His name, and we know that He is present, then if we're aware of His presence, then we're going to be very careful about how we deal with each other. We're not going to throw somebody out of the church or reject somebody out of hand if we know that Christ is in our presence. He's not going to just make decisions about where we take our churches and what we're going to do uh, without consideration of God, if we are aware of the Scripture that says that when we are gathered in His name, Christ is present. So all our decisions as churches, all the things we loose, all the things we bind in church, if they are checked against the fact that Jesus is present, that should help us be a lot more wise, a lot more gracious and compassionate as in how we plan and deal with people. Another good check would be to before we reject or accept people, would be to go back to who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Before we say that someone's not suitable for ministry, someone's not suitable for this or suitable for that, we go right back to, well, let's think about Indy and Hiromi here. You know, what's their faith like and what's their attitude like? It's not about how together they've got it, but do they have the faith? Do they have the attitude? These are things that we could be checking when we judge others and make decisions as a church. And a further good check is the next parable which you'll know very well, I imagine, if you've grown up in the church, which is a parable of the unforgiving servant. We should forgive others. We should forgive the Indies and Horomis, the Horomis, the, the little ones in our church, the people we feel are still learning and, and maybe don't have it together and still do things that are a bit not quite the way we know that the Bible teaches us to live, um, that we should be forgiving of these people because Christ forgave us. The passage does not say that sin is okay. I am not saying that you let people come in and just start swearing all the way through the service and, you know, they're still coming in and they're still drinking and getting drunk at the weekend. We know that's not good for them. We know it's not honoring Christ and we know it's not honoring the body. But what we are saying is that grace and mercy are very important. And the Bible does say here, Jesus does say here in this parable that sin is not okay. I mean, what was, obviously we know that the, the king and this, the master in this is meant to be God. What was God going to do with this servant that had this debt against him? 
going to sell them into slavery. His whole family. That's like me, Lindsay, and the two kids sold to pay off the debt that I owed this master, this king. So there's clearly something here that says the sin is wrong, the debt is wrong. But the debtor goes and begs for forgiveness. Please, I will pay you back. I will pay you back. Please don't do this. God has mercy. And the person goes free. So I don't need to worry about being separated from my wife and kids and a horrible life for us. We're set free from that debt. Now, I then go to the next person. Ross owes me a fiver. I've just been set free from two million pounds worth of debt. I go to Ross and say, you owe me a fiver. If you don't get me back, I'm taking you to court. You're going to prison, man. You know, and Ross is like, well, what? Please, I'll, I'll get it together. I'll rustle it up. I'll get the fiver. I'll pay you back. And I'm like, nope. And off he goes, drives through the court. Airdrie minister, old, old fellow Christian, a fiver. He's in Barlini, you know, and there you go. Now, is it wrong that Ross owes me a fiver? Yeah. He owes me the money right? But the biggest wrong is that I've just been set free from two million pounds worth of debt, and I demand five pounds from someone else. That's the biggest sin here. The king canceled the debtor's debt. Therefore, the way I see it is, you know what? When the king canceled the debtor's debt, he canceled Ross's debt as well. What need do I have for the fiver? What need do I have to grab everything that I can from my fellow human being when God has just given me salvation, life eternal, complete forgiveness, washed in the blood, praise the Lord. And yet I'm still demanding from human beings that you must repent, you must do this, you must pay me back. I am going to hold a grudge when Christ has completely redeemed me from all my wrongdoing. That is the greatest sin in that parable. The unforgiving servant. It's ludicrous to think that you should, that I should hold a grudge against you over some sin that will not last for eternity when Christ has just forgiven me from sins that would lead to death for eternity. If a king can humble himself and clear your debt, then as a peasant, you can humble yourself to clear a fellow peasant's debt. That's what we're talking about here. And again, here we go, the loving Jesus that people think, oh, I'm fine with Jesus. I don't like Christianity. I'm like, that Jesus says, if you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. And we must face the justice of God. Now, I know this brings up lots of difficult theological questions, and I am not going to go and delve into all these things tonight. Hopefully, you don't think that's me being careless. But I do believe there is a word for tonight out of all of this. And I'm hoping that you're piecing together some things. I think in some ways I'm thinking, well, you know, some of this stuff would have stuck in your heart and your mind. There's been something in here that's been said that you're like, that's made me think of this, made me think of that. But there is a word that I felt was for Ergy Baptist tonight. And this is not, I don't know Ross very well. We don't talk, we don't discuss. So I don't know if there's anything in the church that this would speak into or if there's anything in your life. I don't know you. But I do believe it is a word from this chapter. And it's very clear that God the Father's only business on earth is to seek and save that which is lost. He sent Jesus, and that was his job, to seek and to save which was lost. He gave the Holy Spirit, and that is his job, to enable us to seek and save that which is lost. He gave us his word, and that is its job, to seek and to save which is lost. 
and he gave us his church. He gave us us. And that is our job, to seek and to save that which is lost. His business has never diversified. It has always, and it always will be, the same until Christ returns, to seek and to save that which is lost. After that, you know, when Christ comes back, or we go to be with the Lord, it's just the end of your financial party for eternity. You know, we've done the business. <laughs> the business is done. Party, let's celebrate. That's, that's the deal. Until Christ returns to seek and to save that which is lost. That's what the church is about. And what we look forward to is no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. We are going to shed this mortal coil, these earthly tents that blow in the wind and are freezing cold sometimes and don't protect us too well from the fire are going to be completely incinerated and we'll have a new home in heaven for eternity. New body, total perfection, no more aches and pains, no more child suffering, no more Stephen Fry saying, oh, God's a nasty person because he creates horrible bacteria and blah, blah, blah. It will all be done. Hallelujah. But until that point, seek and save which is lost. Yes, there have been different denominations and expressions of that business, different dogmas, ministries, churches, theologies, traditions, styles, approaches, or whatever. These things matter not. It's all the same business. Seek and save that which is lost. Preach Christ crucified and make disciples of all nations. If that is not the aim of any Christian, and if it doesn't stray too true to Christ and his word, the Bible, then I'm, I'm afraid it's a fraud. We're not going to go into the theology and who's in and out tonight or which denominations are right and who's a good preacher and who's a bad preacher. We're not into that tonight. But we want to think about what Christ is saying to us. And I think it's something like, I'm going away on a business trip. Jesus is saying, I'm away on a business trip. I have left my word and I will give you the Holy Spirit, so please keep the standards up while I'm away. And he said that to his disciples over 2,000 years ago. I've got business. I'm leaving this to you guys. Don't let the standards drop. Seek and save that which is lost. So, the challenge tonight for all of us, where are you regarding that as you listen to his word? Are you having the faith of a child? Do you have the attitude of a child? Are you welcoming the little ones? Are you going out to find the lost sheep? Are you correctly correcting your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you reminding yourself that you have authority to bind and per permit both here and in heaven? Are you reminding yourself that when you meet together, He is present? Are you canceling the debts of your debtors and forgiving those who sin against you? That's, the, that's kind of the, what they want to see in the resume what are your strengths and weaknesses? Well, the strengths, having the faith of a child, having the attitude of a child, welcoming the little ones, going out to find the lost sheep, correctly correcting my brothers and sisters in Christ, reminding myself that I have been given the authority to bind and permit both here and in heaven, that I have, I'm always in the presence of Christ, and that I should cancel the debts of my debtors and forgive those who have sinned against me. If you are not then you're doing the equivalent of the worker who arrives a little late every now and then, who perhaps phones in sick 
only once in every while. Perhaps you're playing solitaire on the office computer, taking an extra five minutes at break time. Maybe you're doing just enough to keep the boss off your back. You may even be doing worse than that. But let me not bother you with this message, but rather flip it on its head and encourage you. Having the faith of a child means there is a father who provides everything for you. If you're a child, you would assume there's a parent. And as Christians, we know our parent is the father. As you have the faith of a child, you let the parent do the job. God wants you to trust him. If you have the attitude of a child, then that means that you are not burdened with the weight of the world and the things that before Christ we so got messed up in. Power, prestige, value, you know, finding value in everything and anything but the one thing that gives us value. If you have the attitude of a child, you're not trying to be, oh, I'm going to be the minister, or oh, I'm going to be the bishop, or I'm going to be this, or I'm going to be that. You're not so bothered about these things because you just want to play with your pals. You just want to be nice and have a good world. He wants that for you. Freedom. The faith and attitude of a child. Welcoming the little ones. Challenging, right? But that shines a light. Shines a light on each other. You know what a difference it makes to feel welcomed in a church? You know, to, to come and meet Rothy when we met a couple of times and just know that we're one in spirit. And it doesn't matter what ministry we're a part of or what our stories are or how we speak, but we're all speaking about the same Christ, the same Lord, the same Savior who saved us all from sin and death. Welcome each other. We go into nice and sleazies and I see people that need to be welcomed into the family of God. And we've got Mike Sayers here and Mary Sayers who emailed one day, and he welcomed me. And the stories we can tell of the fruit of the Spirit and what's worked in our relationship and over the years is incredible. Welcome one another. God wants that for you. He wants the joy, you to experience the joy that that brings when you welcome one another and you are welcomed. Going out to find the lost sheep, that wins souls, and that's the job. He wants to enjoy, you to enjoy the joy that comes with winning souls. Correctly correcting your brothers and sisters in Christ, that wins souls too. It's amazing to see people come back to Christ. I think Scum of the Earth Church has experienced that a lot, right? People who were in the church went away from the church, and in some ways Scum's been a place where they've been able to reconnect with Christ. What joy to see people come back to the Lord praying for that for my brother at the moment, that he comes back to the Lord. He's so far gone, praying that he comes back to the Lord. He wants you to experience the joy of winning people for Christ, seeing people come back to faith, and reminding yourself that you have the authority to bind and permit. Well, no one in God's business is a gopher. There's no one in here that's the gopher that gets the teas and the coffees. And that, you know, Ross is the chief exec or anything like that. No, that's not the way it is. These are structural roles that enable the church to function. They are biblical. But there's nothing in the Bible that says that Ross or Mike or anyone in here is more important because of the degree, because of the studies. There's an equality in spirit. No, no, no male, no female. There is a Greek present. Mike is Greek. Uh, there's no Jew, no Greek. 
We're all one in Christ. So whether you feel like you're a gopher or high up in the church, whatever your role, we all have the same authority, the same Holy Spirit to bind, permit, to loose. When you put on the uniform, I suppose I always like to go to the armor of God, when you put that uniform on, you speak on behalf of the company no matter where you feel you are on the pay scale. The moment you open your mouth and speak about Jesus Christ, no matter how much people would see what role you have in the church, what age you are, what abilities or lack of abilities you have, when you've got that uniform on, you speak on the behalf of Christ, ambassador for Christ. That's awesome. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to have a business mind or be a great theologian to be an ambassador for him. And reminding yourself that he's present when you meet, I mean, that speaks for itself. How awesome is it that the King of Heaven, like the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, is present? And, and knowing that he's there helps you to make wiser decisions. Uh, and you're more likely to combine grace and truth. There was a Bible study when I visited Denver once, ran by two friends of mine, Paul and, and Sam, and they had a Bible just called Grace and Truth, because one of them was more inclined to just speak the truth, you know, because like, we're all different personalities. Another one was a lot more gracious, and they were like, well, the two of them combined is really what Christ was, grace and truth. And when we know that Christ is present, we're more likely to speak in grace and truth. And canceling the debts of your debtors, forgiving those who sin against you, this wins souls and it protects yours. I've harbored grudges. I've had been wronged. And it's excruciating and unjust and painful. But when I forgive, it doesn't just automatically go away. But I find that in time, the healing that that brings is incredible. So I believe tonight that Jesus wants you to know that he knows that you hurt and that you still fear and that you can get angry and that you can get overwhelmed and that sometimes you are empty. And that yes, even what everything I've said tonight might seem difficult for you. And he knows that some of you may not have the energy but I think that's why we focus on the parable of lost sheep tonight. I think that's why I was led here. Because if I was a shepherd and I went looking for a lost sheep, I'd find it and I'd be like, yeah, I found the lost sheep. <laughs> I'd go back to the pen. I'd be like, oh, no, I've lost 99. You know, it's <laughs> like, where are they? You know, because I don't know how to build a pen. I don't know how to be a shepherd. I'm not very good at that. So I've lost the sheep, found one, and the rest of them are all scattered. But Christ, thankfully, is a good shepherd and knows what he's doing. So while Christ or while Ross or members of the church are out ministering and pastoring and evangelizing other people, I'm hoping that your church and that all churches are trained enough by the shepherd that the shepherd can come back and not have to go wandering after everybody else, right? It's almost like a comedy thing, you know, like when I'm with the kids, you know, and I'm like, oh, don't touch that. And I'm getting that off them. And then I turn around and I've got something else and it you, know, you, know, you kind of want to get the kids to the point, these little ones to the point where they know how to behave, they know how to love one another, they know how to look after each other so that they can send people out to the mission field. Every Baptist is your pen. This is your community. You have some in your midst, I think, who will be called to do different things and even in your relationships that people maybe won't be in your life as much as you you hope that they would because they're off doing something else. You know, but I believe that while some people say that Christians are sheep and they say that's a derogatory thing, I don't think 
in any way, shape, or form that Christ sees the sheep as these boo, boo, stupid little creatures, but it's actually affection and love and purity and niceness. And so, my question, can you say to each other, yep, when we're going through a tough time, when Ross is having difficulties in health and or somebody else, or we've lost somebody else in our fellowship, which I know from growing up in a church and aging congregations that you lose people on the way. And I believe from the last time I was here that you guys probably have this together for the most part, that when the shepherd goes out and that now that Christ is away, that you guys can be the 99 that stay. I think that's the message tonight. Kind of flipping the whole thing on its head. Not focusing on the sheep we're going to find, focus on the 99 who are left. So let me finish with this. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. Be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen.